<laughs> well, all right. Welcome. Do you have to talk out loud? No, I don't know why I'm talking. This <laughs> all right. Welcome to episode number one, or should I say question number one of my new podcast, Rob Morgan is a Curious Person. Now, I think about most podcasts that I've loved and listened to try to do one thing when they get audio and have interviews with super important people. They try to get the most pristine, clear audio possible. I didn't want that. None of my favorite conversations I've had in life have been in a studio or someplace where the audio is super quiet. It's always in a coffee shop or half the time it's at a bar over a beer and those aren't quiet places. So I decided for this podcast, I just wanted to do these interviews and conversations where I've had some of my favorite conversations in real life. There's a lot of benefits to this. There's a lot of negatives and there's a lot of difficulties. Number one of those difficulties is halfway through your interview, like this one today, karaoke pizza. <laughs> for a while now. I never associated with them like I would ever do a podcast, but I've just loved listening to podcasts. If I'm driving, typically I'm either throwing on an audiobook or a podcast listening. And so I love it. But I will tell you what I hate about podcasts. You're settling in, maybe halfway through you're already into it, and right there in your face is sponsorships. And so when I decided to do my own podcast, I said, "Screw that." No way in hell am I doing sponsorships. And you know what? When I listen to sponsorships, now that I mention it, it makes me thirsty. I get thirsty thinking about sponsorships. And you know what? Nothing quenches my thirst uh, while I'm thinking about how much I hate sponsorships like a pint of Guinness. Even Guinness in their uh, draft can that I would say perfectly encapsulates the taste and feel of a perfectly poured pint of Guinness that you'd have in a pub. I happen to have one here right now. Now, I feel like a lot of people I know, and even myself included, don't know how to pour one of these uh, draft cans. Pop open. 
and you just pour it at a gentle angle that you would pour your normal Guinness. When you would set your Guinness down and let it settle before the second pour, you just blow right through that and keep on one swift, smooth pour. And there you go. You've got a perfectly poured pint of Guinness draft. Sarah, do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? Mmm. Tastes like mother's milk. <laughs> I don't know. Where is that from? From Irishman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Narrate Films took the picture. Hey, by the way, guys, Narrate Films took all the pictures for this. And now I'm yelling in my, di- in my dining room. And they are not a sponsor of this and program. And they are not a sponsor and neither is Guinness. <laughs> okay. If you do want to know more about either Guinness uh, or Narrate, who are both not sponsors... You can check them out on the show notes of my website for this podcast at thecuriouspod.com. All right, let's move on. Man, I used to, I remember sitting on road trips as a kid looking out the back window of our blue Toyota minivan. And as we would pass cars or a car would go past us on the left, on the same direction even, I would just think about these lines of our lives, even as. I always did it. You always did that? Well, I know you did that. You told me. But I did it too. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking those those kind of thoughts, and so have you. We've been thinking those kind of thoughts since we were little kids, and I think that's kind of a kindred part of our relationship is that we think that way. And when we interact with people and people come here... It brings here, a, a gravity and a weight to everyday situations. Yeah. And I think that what I've seen with you, uh, when we invite people over... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Moving on. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you get it. I just feel like if you're introducing this concept of how the hell did we end up here, you're talking about this big picture. Yeah. But you're also talking about, in a more lighthearted manner, how the hell did we end up at Mancini's? How uh, the hell did we end up at Mancini's? Okay. <laughs> I ended up at Mancini's because I met Donnell because her husband, Zach Ojeda, is a bass player who plays with her all the time. He decided to join the Marines. And so he left to uh, go to boot camp, and I found myself playing with Donnell quite a bit while he was gone. Uh, when I was playing with her, we were sitting in the green room multiple times, and she alluded to this story of her life and how the hell she ended up where she is as a person right now. And I knew instantly I had to sit down with her. We had to grab drinks and I need to hear the story uninterrupted in full. And Mancini's was the perfect place for that. (laughs) All right. Here's the interview with Donnell drinking martinis live at Mancini's live at Mancini's one night only. And then I was in another contest, like talent contest when I was eight at this place called Jackpot Junction and I won it. And the prize was like working with some agent or something for a year, I think. And so I started to work with this agent and he had this gig out in Las Vegas and it was this show called Country Tonight and it was like a variety show and they had some children performers at the Aladdin Casino and Hotel. And so we went out and I auditioned and I ended up that's where we moved first for three months. And my grandparents lived there, yeah. Okay. Which was kind of cool. 
So you're out there living out with your there living with our my grandparents, yeah, in Vegas. And with your whole family. Yeah. Okay, so your family, you win this, and this guy comes to your parents, and he's just like, "Hey, I've got this opportunity." Yep. Being an adult now, and I'm thinking, if I had kids, like what it would take for someone to come up to me or to you and say, "Hey, your kids got this talent enough for you should all pack up and go to Vegas." from minnesota yeah but they convinced your parents to do it there'd have to be some incentive yeah my mom really yeah wanted that for me and believed in it they both did so while we were out there they were like oh we're also like we're taking this show and bringing it to branson missouri which was like booming at the time huge in like 1993 1994 yes and uh so would you like to relocate there and of course my parents were like yeah we'd much rather like raise our kids in Branson in the Bible Belt than Vegas <laughs> yes. like my brother I mean while we were in Vegas my brother got like a gun pulled up on him oh, like yeah. at the playground when he was you know six like it wasn't for kids so I was like eight and a half and we started rehearsals for the show because we always they do rehearsals in like the winter time and then like seasons start in March so that was 94 and I started singing at Country Tonight in Branson and that was and then your whole family is just there for you this is Donnell's shot the first year my dad wasn't even down there like I remember crying for him certain nights because he still stayed up here and worked with the Rockin' Hollywoods to make money and make ends meet so it was just me and my mom and my brother really and down in Branson down in Branson for the first year yep I always forget about that because I just remember missing him so much and my poor mom just really like saw how the other moms acted and just started to kind of do the same thing and became such a stage mom. Really? Oh yeah. Like she saw like, this is how, this, this is, is like, how, this it's, is how done. it's done. This is how you, and really, that became her succeed. life. I mean, she didn't have another yeah. job or anything. So I, my thing, my career was her life, yeah. unfortunately. And yeah. I mean, it has to be based out of, it's initially out of, like, love and care for you, like, yes. excitement. Let's make this happen. It all stems from, like, good intentions, oh. and I know that. But for her, yeah. it wasn't ever any, it wasn't healthy, it wasn't, didn't do okay. her any favors. Yeah. Or me in the end. But, you know, we weren't necessarily living, like, the Christian lifestyle, and now that I know, like, it's such a new concept to me, like, you put God first, and then your spouse, and then your kids. That's so weird to me because I grew up like the kids are. Like you love your kids more than anybody, and you put them so like that's kind of how they were. Living like you have to take care of your marriage and yourself first. Not that they had a bad marriage or anything, but because they didn't, they're still together and it's great. But she was definitely living her life. I mean, she still does to, to an extent. For through her her kids. Yeah. <clears throat> for her kids yeah that's so funny to me hearing you say that because the first thing you said was through her kids and then you say well for her kids but it's interesting to me that the th- living your life through the, her kids is like the subconscious thing that comes out first yeah to me that's the truth yeah because she had an awful awful upbringing and childhood right. and she wanted better things for us but yeah. in trying to do that She went overboard and wanted, like, perfection. There's just things that I think of back then, like her driving me to an audition. I believe this was even before Branson. And it was an acting. I did acting, too. And it was an acting audition, and you had to cry in it. And I remember on the drive there, I was just like, Mom, I just don't know how I'm going to do that. Like, I can't just make myself cry. And I remember her 
like she started just saying awful things and screaming at me and while she's driving she's like slamming her hand on the dashboard and just like scaring me and made me cry and she's like there that's how you do it type of thing it was like I know she did it because she wanted me to like get the job but like things like that or I think I've told you this before like when my friends in Branson like when my friends were getting in trouble for like sneaking out when they were 12 like I would get off stage and get in huge trouble and get grounded because like I was flat on a note or I didn't smile a certain way because you had to like Branson as a whole, you've been there, you oh, know. Oh, yeah. So it's like the, the dance moves oh, yeah. and the facial expressions. The face, yep. And so, you know, she would like take my mirror and like break it. And just like, it became like, like she, she definitely went a little mommy dearest at times. And she, she'll be the first to admit it because she feels awful about it now. Really? And I'm always just like, mom, it's okay. Yeah. Like I always knew you loved me yeah. and I was safe, yeah. but um, definitely was her whole life. Did you guys have, like, have you had this, like, moment of heart-to-heart? Almost all the time now, actually. Really? She just mm-hmm. will go in spurts where she just is crying because she just feels really bad. Like, she realizes now, now that she has a grandbaby, and, yeah, yeah so oh. she knows now. But it was really, it was really tough at the time. It's weird because my dad was the musician, but he was the one that always wanted way more normalcy for me. Like, he's the one that insisted I get out of homeschooling and go to public school. Be around other kids. And he's the one that would, like, make sure we went on normal family vacations and did normal, like, had family days. And he wanted, like, there's this book I gave him that's, like, something about daddy, and you fill it out just, like, your best memories of each other and then give it back and forth. And he wrote in there when I was a teenager, it was like, what's one regret you have? And he was like, it was having me be in the like music business, basically. Really? At the time. I mean, that was, I don't think he regrets that anymore, yeah. but. Did you ever feel like, just wish you could be normal? Like, did you ever mm-hmm. see other normal kids? Mm-hmm. All the time. I, even when I was like, and this was before Branson, even when I was, I think six or seven, I had a bunch of summer gigs while one of my cousins had stopped sucking her thumb finally. <laughs> and her parents decided mm-hmm. her prize for that would be to go to Hawaii and bring a friend. Yeah. Well, she picked me, and my parents didn't let me go because I, like, had some gigs that summer and, like, no obligations. way. So things like that, yeah. Like, I could have gone to Hawaii with That's my That's one friend. of the big ones that, like, sticks in my mind, but that oh. happened all every all the like time. Like, in, in, like, micro situations. Because even like on the weekends, day-to-day. like, your friends have, I, yeah. I was the working. summer parties, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. So you just, if you did have like friends your own Mm -hmm. age, they were like other showbiz kids. Yeah. And then you're really all getting weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're you're just an algae pond of showbiz kids. Mm -hmm. Like just feeding off of each other. And you're you're already weird in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I mean, I, there's, I can't even compare, um, but I, I did like acting. Music was never my thing, but acting was in mm. high school and younger. So, but like everybody that did that was so, there's like a personality to that that you kind of have to be. Like your mom, when you say like she had to kind of fit this mold, there's kind of like the showbiz thing or like the acting with the uh, whatever it is. There's kind of like a way you hold yourself that you have to be or talk. And I never fit like that mold like oh, really? perfectly. No, because I, I was, I've always been like, well, not now. But when I was younger, I was very shy and, like, not outspoken. And I wouldn't go, like, brag about myself. Like, I was very just... And so my mom would have to be like, go say hi to blah, 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 blah. Go do this. And and I didn't fit other molds. Like, 
I'm with pageant, like, beautiful children, especially down in Branson. It really sticks out. And I had some meat on my bones. Like, I look back now, and I was fine. So that became, like, a huge thing. And Do you remember, like, what age that stood out? Yeah. That's, like, you remember? Yeah, when I got to Branson. When I got to Branson at, like, nine years old. I remember, like, they would pick out your show clothes, and... They'd go buy a bunch, and then you'd try stuff on, and they'd return what you didn't wear. And I was trying stuff on, and they wouldn't put me in the same cute stuff as they did as, like, the other girls. Like, they'd put me in, like, old lady frumpy clothes, like, just because I had these, like... And, you know, as a kid, <laughs> kid. that sucked. And then... The, so humiliating. They'd bring, the, they'd bring it, like, to my parents' attention. Like, hey, she she isn't, like, thin like this. So then I'd get I'd be getting pulled in for meetings at 10 years old. Like, listen, you have to do something about your weight. And, like... As a that's a baby to me, ten years old. Oh yeah, and for sure, that became like I mean it's still and probably always will be a, an issue for me. Mm. Um, so like it my parents started to have me right like your- yeah we lived on like this mountain in Missouri and they make me walk up it like three times a day and like I was always on diets like as a little kid and but the biggest catalyst for any of the horrible decisions I made in my life after that or like not Mm -hmm. loving myself enough to was weight and like having people tell me like I wasn't good enough in that area or not pretty enough you didn't fit that mold because I didn't fit that mold yeah that's someone the mold someone made up Mm -hmm. that this is what everybody should fit in oh that kills me but I'm saying like the biggest catalyst for stuff that happened probably from like age 19 to now um so mainly like my like drug use and all that I mean that's why I kept doing it because like for well first of all you feel like you can conquer the world yeah. on methamphetamines and you feel like a total and badass second of all <laughs> you don't eat you don't sleep so for the first time like I was thin I was being creative like because yeah. you stay up all night. So I was like writing lyrics all the time, which is yes. just something I don't like. I don't know. Um, and then when I got off drugs, like then I ballooned. Like then my weight really did become actually an issue. Yeah. You said once that you, it was a cold turkey. Did you ever like go back to it? Nope. Okay. So it was I like. I tried a couple times. I wanted yeah. to. And I remember I couldn't find any. Okay. Um, which was obviously a huge blessing oh my gosh yeah but I mean I still I would say I dreamt about it for 10 years and then I stopped for a few years and now I still like once in a while will have it's so weird you have using dreams like after weird after doing that on a daily basis all the time like and and you just you know it's so crazy because some people do it for so many years and I think I did it for three or four years like on and off more on than off um, but it seems like a whole lifetime because I did a lifetime of damage in that time I mean I'm better about it now because it's just like it yeah. is it is what it is yeah. and I, I don't think I'd be where I am today without like I don't necessarily regret it but yeah that's such a funny thing I have never done hard drugs but everybody that says they went through these journeys is like you are who you are because of these, and you have the awareness because of it. Mm-hmm. I don't say that in a way of like the encouraging anything, but I say that in a way of like it's interesting 
when you can it's great when you can get to a point where you're not judging your life your own life yeah appreciating where you're at right now okay so you're you're in Branson with the family uh-huh what brought you back to Minnesota because um, you're successful down there you're the child star yeah. of Branson yeah well known yep making good money um, but I was kind of stuck too and mm-hmm. in Branson it's like they kind of say that's where celebrities like go to die or because you have a show every night and you get comfortable you don't have to hustle you just have to get good at yeah. the one thing you're good at and being that I was still so young like they yeah. thought well, there's still bigger better things for her yeah. and so I started working with these agents out of New York and I don't know how they got me what but I started to work with David Foster in Los Angeles like Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston. Yes. Yeah, I started to work with like, it was called Atlantic 143 Records. It was. Like one of their subsidiaries. Yeah. I'm pretty much doing like demo work for him. So I'm, him and uh, there's a huge writer, her name's Diane Warner, and she would come in and they'd you know, write songs and then I would record them and then they send them to, you know, Tony Braxton. And so I was like the demo singer for stuff like that for a while. How old were you? Um, I was 12. Okay. And I'd be in the studio and like Natalie Cole would walk in and Richard Marks and just like, it was such a surreal time of my life. Yeah. I did the coolest thing ever called Two Life Israel Celebrates, or it was America Celebrates Israel's 50th anniversary of being a free nation. And it was this big thing on CBS. And it was all like famous like Jewish actors and actresses and singers. And so I was on stage with like Stevie Wonder and like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And like just, it was the coolest thing. Like I, remember I met Dustin Hoffman. That was one of my favorite moments. <laughs> I was doing like some really, really cool things. But I was doing so much of that that it became, I'd, I had to take so much time off of the show. Um, there wasn't an airport super close in Branson at the time, so we were having to drive like 45 minutes to the airport and then fly. So because it was all the work was in LA. Yeah. Okay. So it just became evident that like, okay, now this is going to be my new thing. I'm getting so much work here that I've got to quit the show. I was really upset about it because I had just gone to public school for the first time yeah. in four years and loved my friends. Yeah. So I was pissed about leaving and so sad and. But we moved back to Minnesota because it was just easier to commute. Yep. Um, my dad always had a really hard time finding musician work down there for some reason. I don't know if it's just, it was all like country and that's just not. So he knew like he could get a job, like he's well yep. known in that like type of industry up here. So that became. So you were like, this, so, your parents were like, this is going to take off. Yeah. We'll move back to Minnesota. So we moved back to Minnesota and I still was like, I enrolled in public school at, at Lakeville and was still doing that and doing like recording contract yeah. stuff and then it just nothing ever happened it was like a certain amount of albums I don't even remember how many like $30,000 contract and I remember signing it because I remember signing pages for yeah. hours and then just like nothing ever nothing ever happened I never saw the money I never like I know we got the money I had found like the check stub for it but I no. never saw, like... You found it, like, as a kid? Like, I remember going through, like, my parents' stuff. Ed Sheeran. Yeah. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> and I found, you know, so I, like, knew that they had gotten the check and spent it, but... What, how old were you? Or was that later at in that life? At that time... Or you were... 
yeah, that when I found that I was older, a teenager still, but okay. So the money thing is interesting to me in that you were in Branson. <laughs> we're in like a back corner booth, just listening to the most romantic Ed Sheeran wedding song right now. Uh, okay, damn it, ring it in, Rob. Uh, you're in, you're in Branson, and there's money involved there too. Like you're not singing for free. I think I, w- I went out with right? Josh Fink and Eric Bear last night. Oh, yes. Like, we went to Bunkers. Yeah, okay. And I think Josh had calculated, because um, he remembered me saying, like, I think I was making, like, almost $2,000 a week. $2,000 a week. It was around there. Yeah. And so he was like, you were making, he calculated it, this insane amount, like, a year. Yeah. And I was like, I never even realized it was that much, but yeah. I think maybe it was when, like, late teenage years, and my dad um, would start to pay me back. Like, he had this list. Like, he's always kept very, like, this is how much I owe. And he would start to, like, pay me back in little increments. And I was, I think that's, yeah, that must have been what it was. And I'm like, pay me back for what? From and then I it was like, for you. oh. From you. Hmm. Yep. Because every time that would happen, there was like a definite, he would take note. He's very, yeah, he's very, like everything is written down and kept track of. It's, it's strange to me. Like he's so good at like money managing, but so bad at it too. And I mean, that's, he's, he has a gambling problem. Not, I mean, I don't think he still maybe doesn't admit it, but that's been probably the biggest part of it. Because he's great at telling, like, me or my brother what to do, like. Oh, yeah. And like I said, it's so weird that he c- keeps track of everything. And he's, like, great at math and got the, but he can't. Yeah. It's a strange can't, thing. like, his own stuff. Do you think gambling had, like, a part of yeah. this whole scenario? Yeah. Really? I think it has to. Because he's just, he's too smart and sweet of a man, like, otherwise to have mismanaged that bad like it yeah he's always trying to go make more and still does that to this day yeah and it doesn't make sense to me you move back here you find out this stuff like I've worked we have these contracts money was like past hands and it's no longer here you're going to audition for The Voice I sing somebody else is the gatekeeper that has the keys to my career of like making it happen Mm -hmm. is out there. Do you feel like you're still at that point where like going on auditioning for like the voice is still like an option? Nope. Um, My best friend, like that was her Christmas present to me. That's right. We went to Nashville. Nashville. Because I remember you going out there. Which I'm thankful for because I had never been to Nashville. Totally. And I think you were really cool about it. You were like, hey, like she got it for me. Like we're going to go do this thing. It'll be fun. You stood, you did the line thing or whatever? or. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never like liked those shows or wanted to do that. But that's what everybody tells me. Still, at my gig on Friday night, this lady comes up to me and she's like, you would do so well on The Voice. People don't know it's rude, but it's so rude. And she's like, when are you going to do something with your voice? Oh. And I'm like, that is the rudest question. 
How about since I was nine years old or six or whenever? Yeah. I've been doing it. I especially feel like I am now, so I'm like... Totally. Yes. I... I don't keep you from your night, but if you want another... If yeah, you want, I'm going to take another one. I'll have another the same Can as well. I actually do a um, Jack and Coke? Jack and Coke, yeah. I'm going to have another one of these, except a different gin. Uh, yeah, Beef Eater would be awesome. Thank you. Oh, this is so fascinating to me. So like, when are you I do was like, I am. And she's like, like today no. in she front goes, of no, you? No, 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 no. But I mean, really do something with it. And I was just like, and people think that's what I need to do. Mm. And so then I did the whole America's Got Talent thing like last year because my girlfriend submitted yeah. me for that without me knowing. Yeah. I got super far and then like didn't make submitted it. Submitted everybody, every. That's funny. And then they emailed me this last fall and said, we're having a new season. Would you consider, like, we'll let you Skype audition again? So, like, I could skip all that. And, What'd you say? Which most people would be like, oh. And I responded like, okay, thank you. Like, I'll do that. And then I just, I never did. Hell yes. Hell yes. Did you wrestle with it? Were you like, maybe I'll do it? Were you I like, did kind of only on because, like, even Zach was like, you should do it. And so I was like. What's it going to hurt? What's yeah. it going to hurt? Which is totally the truth. Yeah. But it should speak to me that I have no, I've never had any desire to do that. Like, so why am I doing it? Because other people want me to. But it's because assholes ask, what do you do for a real job? And when are you going to really do something with your voice? Oh, ma'am. <laughs> if you had to put yourself in someone, that lady that walked up to you that said, when are you going to really do something? Like, what do you feel like someone that approaches you or sees you in that scenario thinks really doing something is? Being famous. And that's, I think that's the same thing with my my mom. I wasn't going to really be doing something until I had fame, until I was known, until I was... Yeah. So what's fame, what do you think fame for them would mean? See... For them, I think, like, fame, it's like Celine Dion type thing. Where, t for me, like, fame is, like, like I, like, even if I was, quote-unquote, like, famous but lesser known, like, one of my favorite singers, is her name's Emily King. Like, if oh. I was even on that. You, oh, I love Emily King. Oh, yeah. She makes me feel things. <laughs> she makes me feel all the feels. Like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you. So, for me, like, just something like that, like, touring and making, like, because I wouldn't necessarily call her, like, famous, famous. But she's famous, you know? But I think to other people and to, like, my mom. Not anymore. I mean, my mom is so happy that I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I said, she's in such a different place. But that would have been what famous to her is. Celine Dion, Whitney Houston. Yeah. We could end this podcast with a duet up there. <laughs> Is this literally karaoke <laughs> yes. right now? Oh, I didn't so know. Oh, good. Oh, I, I may have to sing karaoke at the end of this. This That'd be so good. Uh, Ma'am, we need a we, shot. We, we need a shot. <laughs> and we're going to do karaoke right now. Like, what is it for you to mean, like, you're doing something with what you've been given? What's that mean for you? Well, that's what's been really hard this week about thinking about leaving is because, of course... Ever since I found out I was leaving for sure, I have gotten like three messages on my Facebook <laughs> from different attenders just being yeah. like, 
you changed my like this one lady private messaging was just like you've changed my life and I was like through singing and she was like yes you don't know like how much music can do she's like and just watching you like the way you smile up there she's like you like your worship has changed my life and I've gotten like I would say five of those in the last week and then so it's just like am I doing the right thing by Lee like is God telling me like but I've had to look at it like no that just means like I have other people and other seriously I mean there's other places to go yeah. and to do this and I still have so much to learn and to grow and yeah um, yeah what was the point because you asked just a, what to oh, you so would to me mean. it's that it's like changing somebody's life like really like that was the whole reason I decided to tell my story was like if somebody can be convinced like they're not too far gone because there's no such thing mm -hmm. because I felt like I was there mm -hmm. and so I really feel like singing for Jesus has put me there like it feels and I don't want to say successful it just feels right like I'm finally found what I'm supposed to why I was given this and what I'm supposed to do with it. And if I can kind of make a living off that too, <laughs> yeah. like great. Yeah. Um, which to me, like making a living off of it which, just means you don't have to think about other stuff and you can go fully into this. Yes. What do you wish someone would have told you when you were 10 years old, 11, 12, 13? Uh, you are enough. Like, just you, the way you are. Without, with or without your talent. Like, you are enough. And as cliche as it sounds, like, follow your heart. Like, don't do what other people want you to do just because, I mean, unless it feels right. Um, but I wish somebody would have told me that I was enough the way I was. The few extra pounds or not. Um, this music is so distracting. This music is the worst. <laughs> because I've also struggled with like, being identified by my voice, by my talent. Um, and so for somebody to say, like, you're enough just by yourself. Because I was always like, what if I lost my voice? Like, who would I be? Um, you got to work on yourself more than just your talent like yeah. that's really important too because it doesn't last for forever um, so I would have loved for somebody to say you are enough with or without singing with or without like a few extra pounds with or without uh, any of that So your identity isn't tied up in what you can accomplish for others and the mold yes. you can fit into and and your, your talent. Your performance. Yeah, and your performance. Uh, oh, this is so good. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, thanks for with me. Thanks, Bob. This is so good. If you want to see that you close your eyes and you still want to be a dreamer, you want anytime you